Welcome to C3 Wellington. We're a community on a mission to live, love, and lead like Jesus. For more information about C3 Wellington and to find out about upcoming events and services, visit our website, c3wellington.com. We're so glad you're joining us for this message. We pray it impacts you today. Hey, this morning I have, uh, I was doing another message in Psalms, and I feel like I'm saying this re- a lot recently. Uh, in my prayer time this morning, I got apprehended by God, and uh, He wanted me to, to talk on this. And I, this, to be honest, is like a leadership, uh, leadership devotional. Um, and I thought to myself, uh, why am I bringing like a leadership devotional to a Sunday, Sunday message? It doesn't feel like the right setting. Doesn't feel like the right environment, and so I started having that kind of wrestle with God. That maybe I, maybe you know, am I hearing you right? Are you really want me to, to 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 speak on this? But he he absolutely, I felt really convicted that the Holy Spirit wanted me to speak on this. So my notes this morning is my Bible. Uh, you can't beat the notes here. They're pretty good notes, right? So, and if you want to know where we're going to be this morning, we're going to be in First Chronicles chapter thirteen. First Chronicles chapter thirteen, and uh, I'm going to read you uh, the section, chapter, uh, verses one to fourteen. We're going to have a read of that, and we're going to dive in, and we're going to pull some some gold out of this. I believe this morning, and I just got to believe that God wants something. He's got something He wants to say to us. Okay, He's got something He wants to say to us. But I also want to make this personal. He's got something He wants to say to me, and He's got something that He wants to say to you. In fact, not just say. There's something He wants to open up within you. He wants to unlock something this morning, and and, and cause something to be stirred up. Uh, maybe something that's been dormant stirred up afresh this morning. So uh, I've got all the belief and all the confidence and faith in God this morning that um, we're right where He wants us to be. Amen. So let me let me open up in prayer uh, while you're turning in your Bibles to First Corinthians. Uh, First Chronicles chapter 13. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is truth. God, we stand on the word of God as our utmost authority. Your words, God, be over our lives. Your words, God, be over your church. Your words, God, have their effect and have their way. God, that we want to participate. We want to cooperate with your rhythm, your rhythm that you established for for life, your rhythm that you established for the church as we follow and worship our King, Jesus Christ. We want to be in rhythm with your creation. Creation. We will be in step with your plans, in step with your purpose. So, Father God, I pray that you speak to us this morning from this passage and that it would stir our hearts, stir our spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. All right, let me read it to you guys. Uh, any leaders in the house this morning? Any, any leaders? Come on. This is for you, leaders. Right. David, this is chapter, uh, chapter 13, verse 1. David consulted with the commanders of thousands and of hundreds with every leader. And David said to all the assembly of Israel, If it seems good to you and from the Lord our God, let us send abroad to our brothers who remain in the lands of Israel, as well as the, to the priests and Levites in the cities that have pasture lands, that they may be gathered to us. Then let us bring again the ark of our God to us, for we did not seek it in the days of Saul. All the assembly agreed to do so, for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. So David assembled all Israel from the Nile of Egypt to Lebo Hamath to bring the ark of God from Kirith Jerim. And David and all of Israel went up to Balah, that is to Kirith Jerim, that belongs to Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord, who sits enthroned above the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart from the house of Abinadab, 
refraining from I'm refraining. And Uzzah and Ao were driving, were driving the cart. And David and all Israel were rejoicing before God with all their might, with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and cymbals and trumpets. Sounds like a pretty awesome procession, doesn't it? And when they came to the threshing floor of Chidon, Uzzah put out his hand to take hold of the ark, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and he struck him down because he put his hand out to the ark, and he died there before God. And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah. And that place is now called Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of God that day. And he said, how can I bring the ark of God home to me? What a big question that is. This thing started with a Woo-hoo. We're going to do something that we Saul didn't do in his. We're going to bring the princess God back. And now we bring, David's brought to a place that's like, how can I even bring the ark home with me? So David did not take the ark home into the city of David, but took it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of God remained with the house of Obed-Edom in his home three months. And the Lord blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that he had. What a crazy story. What a crazy history. Let's not forget that when we read these things and they make it, they are amazing stories, that it's history. This is fact. This happened. This happened. And so this morning I, uh, I want to draw some things. I just want to focus on a few things here, which I believe is corporate. And a, a lot of this feels like corporate leadership stuff. But I really believe that God wants to drill down also to a personal level for us this morning. So let's go through here and let's just pull some things apart as we find out what the heck's going on in this crazy story. And the first thing I want to bring to your attention is, is verse 1. It says that David consorted or he consulted with all the leaders and all all of the people, all the leaders of every tribe. He talked to every leader. He talked to every person to figure out that this was a good idea. Let's go and bring the presence of God from where it was, the Ark of the Covenant, from where it was back to the city of David, back into Jerusalem. Now, look, I'm not here. That's a good thing, right? To, To want to bring the presence of God back into a city and back into the place where they were, their inhabitation is a good thing. But what I'm concerned about here is that David didn't consult God, he consulted people. He consulted people. And I just want to say here right now that there's a... Ch- oh, now, the Bible is very clear that we ought to find counsel in a group of many, that, that counsel that find that don't, we're not supposed to isolate ourselves and do things in our own merits and do things in our own accord, that we ought to seek counsel. But the funny thing about David is that he was always the one that would seek God. He would seek God. He would seek God. And in this moment in his leadership, he chose to seek out the advice of those around him when it pertained to the presence of God. He was seeking out information and, and seeking out uh, consulting from the leaders of his land. And, and I just want to encourage you this morning that what God's placed on your life you, and what God's calling you to take your next step, I'm saying you need to consult people, but you don't make a step without consulting God. God has got to be the one that ordains it. He's got to be the one that ordains it. And my concern here would be that there could be an element of people pleasing and therefore maybe the fear of man creeping into the situation. Let me just make sure that I'm okay with you and you and you and you. And it's a scary thing in leadership because you want the people with you. you want to, but here's the thing, leaders. You've got to sometimes make calls and trust the people will come with you. But you know if God said you've got to do it, you've got to do it regardless if the people are with you or not. You've got to make a step. 
right? And so there's a sense to be in David's life right now, this moment of let's just make sure that everyone's on board with me and I've got everyone behind me, but he didn't make sure that God was behind it. Now, it's not to say that God wasn't. Come on, I'm not saying that God's not like, I don't really want you to bring my presence back into your call. But the, there's, a, there's a hard attitude here in his leadership where he's so concerned about the opinions of others that he doesn't seek God himself. He doesn't seek out God himself. And so I just want to, this is my encouragement. When you are in a moment of decision making, when you are in that place of decision making, you must seek God, you must seek his word, his will, his manner. It doesn't matter what man says. When you've got the word of God with you, you've got everything you need. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if people stand against you. It doesn't matter if God has spoken, you've got everything you need. You've got everything you need. So if it seems good to you, you see, you hear the language. Hey, look, if it seems good to you, let's go do this thing. And I'm just concerned for, 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 le- for le- even my own leadership that I don't start to boil it down to trying to make sure that it's good with you. Right? That I'm not trying to lead in a way to please you. Right? That's a scary proposition. That we ought to, that, that, that you become what's most important to please. It, boil, it removes your ability to lead. Sometimes you've got to make tough calls despite it. It's just the fact of leadership. It's the fact of, and, and you see it all. Even Jesus said, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no part of me. And he lost like all of his followers by a few. He's, tough things, tough stuff. But, you know, I'm just saying that you've got to ensure that you are following God and seeking him. Then we move forward here. And so David called everyone this great assembly. He, 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 it feels like he's just, just, it has all the hallmarks of all of the appearance of an amazing thing, but maybe the substance is lacking. How do I, maybe the substance, maybe the motivation is off. And, and why do I say that? Well, because he's got this multitude of gathered of people, and you, David knows the scripture. He, he knows the scripture. Psalm 1, which he wrote, says that he who, who uh, hides the word of God in their heart and follows it and, and meditates with day and night, he is who will be planted like a tree by the river, by the, by the streams, and will be like evergreen. Like David knows the word of God. He knows how the ark ought to be handled. He knows. He even invites the Levites. So here's some history. In Numbers, when God created the tabernacle system and, and, and asked Moses to form and make the ark, the ark held the, the three things the ark held. It held the, 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 the stone tablets that, Mo, that God wrote the Ten Commandments on. It held a jar of manna, to, to, so God's instruction, God's provision, and it held the staff of Aaron when God miraculously butted the staff to say, you're the one to lead. Uh, and so it held these three things, and, and so and it was very precious. And, and, of course, the cherubim on the top was the, went into the holiest of holies. To the, it was called the mercy seat, and this is where people would come, or, or the high priest would come once a year to the, the very presence of God. So God inhabited this in the Old Testament. This was a, the, the symbol of the presence of God. And, the, and he said in Numbers, okay, this is how you ought to do it. Fashion poles, create ringlets on, 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 the, on the ark. By the way, if you, I don't know what you think about the ark, but it was like three foot nine by two foot. It wasn't huge, okay? It was like it was less than four foot by two foot by two foot. Think of just the chest at the like a chest at the end of your bed. Like it wasn't a massive thing, all right? So anyway, I don't know if that interests you or not. 
but that's the facts. Uh, and, and they said make ringlets and slide the poles through the ringlets, right? And then the Levites, the, the ones that I have called to... So, he, so here's the interesting thing about the Levites. They were the tribe of, 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 of Jacob, the one tribe that, that had no inheritance. They couldn't work. They were set aside for priestly duties. And therefore everyone else, all the other 11 tribes, would give to the Levites so that the Levites were provided for by the other 11. They were set aside by God to look after the temple the tabernacle system. That's what the Levites' responsibility was. So they were looked after, but they were set aside, right? And uh, just as a spoiler alert, it says in the, in the New Testament that we are his royal, we're his royal priesthood. You and I are priests. Hallelujah. But in this situation, the Levites were the ones that were ordained by God to be the ones to carry the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders as they went. David knew this. So the fact that things go a little bit different speaks to the fact that he wasn't in the flow with God in the moment. There was something else going on right here in this, in this situation which caused the death of a man. Pretty serious stuff. Let's read on. So, so David assembled all of, the, all of Israel to bring the ark up. And, uh, and, and then, all of, and then we, we move forward. It says uh, he, he, it, was on the, it was at the house of Nimadab. And uh, I promised I'd dab when I... And uh, it, was, <laughs> it was at the house of Animadab, and Animadab had two sons, Uzzah and Ayo. I'm not even sure if I'm saying that right. Ayo. Ayo and Uzzah. And uh, these two guys decided they're going to fashion a new cart for the ark. And they took the responsibility of leading the procession and, 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 and making sure that this, this cart that the ark was put on would, would travel back to the city. So this is an interesting fact. So you've got God ordaining and calling and commanding a way that his presence ought to be handled. You've got David well and, well and truly aware of this, but at the same, and he invites the Levites, but at the same time, you've got these two guys that say, look, we're going to do something new. We're going to fashion a cart. We're going to put the presence of God on this cart, and we're going to pull it along, right? And then Uzzah, they get to a threshing floor. Isn't this interesting? They get to a threshing floor. You know what the threshing floor was designed to do? It was designed to separate the wheat from the chaff. It was the moment when what was pure and good was removed from what was useless and no good. That's what the threshing floor was designed to do. And they get to the threshing floor, and no doubt this oxen that was pulling the cart, this oxen that was pulling the cart, got to the threshing floor and went, ooh, delicious. I'm going to have some wheat. And of course, the, the ark starts to stumble, and, it, and, and Uzzah, goes to stop it from falling. He touches the ark and he perishes because God strikes him down. You know what Uzzah means? You know what the name Uzzah means? It means strength. You know what the name Ao means? Friendly or friendliness. So you've got this, this situation where you've got strength and friendliness trying to do this new thing with the presence of God, pulling in their own, in their own situation, trying to create their own methodology of how they're going to handle the presence of God, even though God had commanded how it ought to be done. And in this situation, strength, the ark starts to fall, and strength goes, no, no, I can stop it, I can do it. And God's like, no, no. And I'm just like, it's such a conviction for me as a leader of the church that not in our strength, not just in friendliness, we can be the most friendly people under the sun, but not in our own strength, not in our own ability to just be liked with enough Facebook posts and all the rest of it to try and draw people. Is that going to be enough to hold the presence of God? It's not. 
It's not. It's not. And so, so there's a situation here which God's saying, no, I'm not interested in your methodologies and you are doing it the way that you ought to think you can do it, that you think you can just muscle my kingdom forward, that you can build my church forward, that you can do it in your own strength and build it and do it the way that you think it, will be, it should be done, that you've got the new way, you've got the new way, I've already spoken. And here's the kicker. Are you ready for it? That the presence of God is not supposed to be in new methodologies and in new systems. It's not about the latest thing. It's not about the latest church fad. It's the fact that God wants to carry his presence on the shoulders of his priests as people. God wants to carry his presence on the shoulders of his, of his kids, on the shoulders of his priests, you and I. We are the carriers of his presence, not a methodology, not a new program. There's nothing that we can create there. We, we don't have to look for the new blueprint. We don't have to look to see what that church over there is doing. Or if we just do what that church did, then maybe we'll find ourselves growing or, or we'll find success. If we just look for the latest blueprint, I, I, I really love Erwin McManus uh, when he was at, I, I watched this church planting uh, session. He, so Erwin McManus, the pastor of Mosaic Church, was in a room full of church planters, church planter wannabes, and, and him and another guy were being interviewed. The other guy was very articulate and detailed and an analyst kind of, kind of pastor. And so he was given all these really pragmatic, practical responses on, on, on here's how you ought to do it. These are the steps how you ought to church plant. This is what you need to focus on, what you need to be aware of. Here's some pitfalls. Here's some strategies. And it's very analytical. And then it said, what, Erwin, what do you want to contribute? And Erwin just looked at them and says, guys, I'm not going to, I'm not here to, uh, there's nothing I want to propagate except for this. There's no blueprint that you can follow. And if you're not called, don't do it. And all you, all I can, the only thing I can propagate is that you have the presence of God in you and you've got to find yourself at the cross section of humanity and that something in you is going to draw people and they're going to stick because of the presence of God. If you don't have the presence of God, you've got nothing. There's no blueprint that can replace it. And I was just like so taken aback because at that point in the journey to want to plant a church and so passionate, you're like looking for stuff. You know, you're just hungry and you're looking for stuff. And it just reminded me, no, it's in you. It's in you. There's, there's, no way to, there's no way to fake it. You can't, you can't fake the anointing. You, you, can't, you can't do that. You, you know, and the anointing is, comes from a place of obedience and, and in humility. There was no humility in this moment. There was just a simple thing that David thought that he could do it a different way. And I, and I don't know if there was people in that, if there was pressure on David. I don't, know, I don't know why he didn't stop the situation. He said, no, we're not putting the presence of God behind an oxen. And here's another thing which I find is interesting. The Philistines took the ark away on an oxen. No one got killed. No one got struck down. You see, because... Because God's, uh, God's instruction, God's way of doing his, his rhythm was not given to the Philistines. It was given to his people, the Israelites. He's not holding the world to accountability of what he's, he's called his people. He's called his people. And so it's interesting that, so I wonder if they just thought, well, I mean, God just let the Philistines do it. He let the world do it, the world's way. So maybe we can just do it the world's way. Maybe we don't have to worry about God's way. Maybe, maybe we can just do it the world's way because it seems like the Philistines can do it. Maybe we can get away with it too. And maybe that's the word for us this morning. I'm just saying it's the word of God meshed through culture gives us the church. I'm going to say it again. It's the word of God meshed through culture gives us our methodology, gives us the church, right? And so we never ever want to put culture above the word of God. You put culture above the word of God, then all of a sudden, well, if culture says it's okay, then it's okay. So maybe we need to change our theology. Maybe we need to change what we think about that. Maybe we should change our stance on that because culture seems to think that that's okay now. So maybe we're antiquated and outdated. And all of a sudden you've got a very liberal, very, and you move away 
from the true gospel. You move away from the true gospel. But then if you put the church above culture, all of a sudden you're going to get antiquated and outdated and you're going to end up with, with pipe organs and pews and a lot of symbology. But you've got like, I've got a 21-year-old guy that I work with and we got talking about this and he just feels like there's no relevance to church for him. So we live in a de-churched world, don't we? We're not an unchurched world and not an unchurched nation. We live in a de-churched nation. There's, there's a huge difference. Unchurched doesn't understand what, who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, and they're waiting to hear. They have no reference, and so it's for us to bring the good news. But in a de-church society, they have all the information they think they need, and they made a decision that they don't want it. Good for you, Christian, if you want to be and you do your church thing, but I have no need for it. I've made a judgment. I think I've got enough information to say, no, thank you. De-church world. It's a very challenging world. So I've got a young man sitting beside me. We're talking about this stuff. And he asked me about like, why there's so many different kinds of churches and stuff. And, and, and he was surprised that we you know, didn't sit on wooden pews. And he was surprised that we, we didn't sing hymns. And he was surprised that... And I'm not saying those things aren't good or bad. I'm just saying that if we want to reach this young man... You've got to understand that the Word of God's got to go through the culture to create the church to reach. It's very important. And so in this situation, it feels to me like maybe they saw that the Philistines did it a certain way. Maybe we can get away with that too. Maybe we can get away with that too. And God was not having a bar of it. It's interesting, like I said, that it happened on the threshing floor at the moment when God separates what is good from what is useless, at the moment where God separates the food from the, not, the, the, the unedible, in that place where so much of Scripture talks about wheat and chaff, that in that place, the, 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 the cart, the oxen stumbled, the cart lent, and Uzzah, strength, put out his hand. I've got this. You know, we don't got this. There's so much pride wrapped up in so much of what's going on right here. So much pride. Pride is a, is a pitfall of, of leadership, guys. It's a pitfall of leadership. There's a humbling work that, that, that must always t- take place in, the, in our hearts. I, I was kind of alluding to it this morning and just before we last song that, that one of the things that holds us back from worship is, is weight that we carry. As, like I said, Timothy Keller says, it's like a, a dark mark on our soul. A.W. Tozer says, it's like we veil ourselves from the presence of God. They're saying the same thing, but the thing that breaks it down is humility. The art of repentance is an act of humility. To say, God, I'm sorry. What I've done is wrong. Whatever position I have, whatever might prevent me from your presence, God, I ask for your forgiveness. Would you remove it from me? I don't want anything to be between you and me, between your presence and my heart. So God, I, I, I come before you. There's a humbling work in that. And humility leads to a place of worship. It leads to a place of the presence of God. It leads to a place of more of Him. And if you, I feel I'm reading this, I'm going, where's the humbling, where's the, where's the humility here? And so things go badly. And what scares me is that I've got two things, I want, two more points, man, we're doing well. I've got two more things I want to bring to our attention we do one and the other. In fact, Troy, just come and join me now, mate. It would be fantastic. And it's interesting here that when they start the procession, so off they go. The, cart, the, the presence of God is now on this new cart. Who cares? You know, we don't need the Levites and their poles. We've got this cart, oxen. We've got Uzzah and Ao doing their thing. And, and, the, and, and, and then it says that all of Israel was dancing and singing with lyre and harp. And there was this whole thing. It looks amazing. It looks Incredible. I mean, if you were like watching this thing, it would have been the most incredible procession. Can you imagine it? 
And it feels like it's all good, like the presence of God is coming back to Jerusalem and we're dancing and singing and celebrating and worshipping. Except for there's this one word that stood out to me. That's one word in verse 8. It says, And David and all Israel were rejoicing before God with all their might. Their might. And I just feel like in this situation, in this story, there's a lot of their might in this. There's a lot of in my strength and in my might and in my, like I'm going to muscle the situation. It feels like there's a whole lot of outward appearance of, of, of what is awesome, but the reality was in the middle, in the, from where it was coming was not from a place of surrender, of contrite spirit, of humblement before the Lord God. Friends, we've got to be so careful that we don't do things in our own mind. Whatever you're facing right now, whatever struggle you're walking through, are you trying to get it through it in your might? Whatever you're, whatever you're working through right now, is it in your might? Where's God's strength? Remember, those that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. We preached that last Sunday. I just feel like this is like a bit more of a continuation. This is a leadership chat, but I just feel like God's wanting to bring the bring the the coach chat this morning. <laughs> that we ought to take a humbling position before the presence of God. He doesn't owe us anything. He doesn't owe us His presence. We can come into this place. He doesn't owe His presence to us. It's the presence of God. And we could cry out, God, would you come? Would you come? It's nothing in me. It's your desires. What have I got to offer you? I've got nothing to give you. Thankfully, there's nothing you want. I just open contrite spirit to say, I need you. I need you. When we're walking through the tough times and we cry now before God, God, I need you can't do this without you. Need your presence, not in my might, not in my strength. And God will bring us to a place where we feel insufficient and we can't do it. So that He can step in and do it. He can step in and do it in His strength. They were doing it in their might. In their might. And the last part, it's just the shift in David from the start of this story to the end. Sad is my heart. Thankfully, this is not the end story for David, nor need, need it be for you and me. But sometimes things start out in pride. Even though they have good intentions, they not might be the right things. Even though they've got good intentions, godly intentions, but they not might be not God's timing. It might not be God's way, God's will right now. He might, and so it starts out like we're going to bring the presence of God back to the city, and it ends with David ex- exclaiming, "This it says that." So David didn't take the ark home, and where am I? And David was afraid of God. He was afraid of God that day, and he thought, "How can I even bring the presence of God back with me?" He got from, hey, everybody, let's do this amazing thing to, 
I'm afraid of you, God. I don't even know what to do right now. And I, I don't even know how I can bring the prisons. I don't even know how I can bring the prisons of God to lower heart. I don't know how I can bring the prisons of God to my workmates. I don't know how I can bring the prisons of God into my family. I don't know how I can do this now. It brings them to this place of, of crazy fear of God, but not the right kind of fear of God. And this is what pride does. It's sickening and it destructs, destroys and twists because there's the truth. The presence of God was lifted over Eden's house and it says that because the presence of God there, he was blessed. He was blessed and everything in his family was touched and blessed and abundant. The presence of God is a blessing. The presence of God is a, is a providing presence. It's a blessing presence. It's a freedom presence. It's a joyful presence. And so sometimes things start out in pride and we wonder why they go bad. And it's not actually that you have to leave God, but you just have to kick the pride to touch. There's a humbling work that needs to happen for the presence of God to take His place in our hearts. In our hearts, we're, come on, we are called church. God has given this church a big vision, a big part to play in this city of Wellington. It's not about our ideas, it's about His ideas. It's not about our might and our strength, it's about leaning in, in, into Him and what He can do. Our part is to deal with the pride and, and come before Him with a humble and contrite spirit saying, we desire Your presence, Your way. We desire Your way. We're not looking to the left nor the right. We're not looking for a blueprint from some other church, some other situation. We're looking to You, God, for what You want to do in Your timing in the situation. That's church. And the same goes for your life and what you're walking through in this. He's like, just humble and contrite calling out before God that we might not be like David that when things turn worse we're like I don't even know how anymore don't know how anymore the presence of the Lord brings blessing the presence of the Lord brings provision the, pr the blessing of the Lord the presence of the Lord brings life but we don't wield it like power humble ourselves before Him. We do things His way. I love that saying, when it's God's will, it's God's will. When it's God's way, it'll come to pass. And His methods and His time and His perfectness and His perfect purpose, His perfect plan. Come on church, let's stand this morning.